in full transparency. I kind of find this funny because uh, a few weeks ago, I was praying with Andy in the back and we prayed for vulnerability. Since then, I'm pretty sure I've teared up every Sunday since. And God has this way of constantly working in us and meeting us for the things that we ask for in overwhelming and powerful ways. And for me this week, it was really hard to get up here. I'll be honest with you guys, it was. Just because of things I had going on in my personal life and and family life. And uh, Wednesday, it led to a place where uh, I guess the best way to put it would be I ended up getting kind of banged up by another human being. I had my ribs bruised, uh, my eye blackened, some of my hair was pulled out. And that stuff came from my home life. Not home life with Helena, but my my family. Right? I I should have clarified that. I should have clarified that. But started with conflict with the family I grew up with. And for a lot of us, the conflict with our family is the hardest because it's the people closest to us, the ones that know us so well, so intimately, that can leave the biggest bruises and scars, right? So what do we do with that feeling? What do we do with the pain and the loss and the anger and the trauma that comes from that? And so while I'm thinking through all of those things, that led me to Joseph. And the story of Joseph and specifically how we think about Joseph. For a lot of us, we think of Joseph, the interpreter of dreams who had a couple rough moments, but ultimately was blessed. And that could be a very simple and sweet story. Yeah, some hard parts, but straightforward. But do you guys think of Joseph as a survivor? Right? Uh, Small little anecdote, when I was in Sixth grade, I was super excited and terrified to go to gym class. I was. And by sixth grade, I was already pushing six foot, right? So uh, clearly, you would think I'd be awesome and ready to go out and play, and it was we were going to play basketball. And for whatever reason, I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I was terrified of the idea that, what if I don't get picked first? What if I'm not any good? What if, you know, I fall, I hurt myself? What if I do something embarrassing? All these what ifs. To the point that I hid my gym shorts in my backpack just to skip gym for the first week of sixth grade. Mind you, Who's not going to pick the six foot, like sixth grader? Of course. It was so obvious 
that, yeah, that's not something to be concerned about. But guess what? My reality, my perception of who I was and what I was able to accomplish or do literally put me in a position where I was willing to shrink back and be afraid. And there's a lot of people who are paralyzed by their experiences. They're paralyzed by their pain and trauma in their home lives or just past relationships, whatever it may be. And even though it is obvious to God how you are made, we don't see it. Even in, it could be as apparent as you are six foot, you'll be okay. But we're lost in that delusion that we've told ourselves. And so what do we say? What do we say to the people who say, I am not good enough. I can't walk into a church. I can't be around Christians. The reason that I watch online is because if I walked into the building, it would burn down. You don't know my story. It's too painful. Can God really redeem and use it? The answer is yes. It's a resounding yes. And we see that in Joseph. And the story of Joseph actually gives us three things to say back to that. Three really cool things as early as Genesis in chapter uh, 37 verses 1 to, uh, through 8. We see a beginning that's less than ideal. Joseph is born into this family. He's the last of his sons, and there's favoritism there, right? And some of you guys may know that story and that, that part, but for those of you who don't, his dad is so excited to have his last son in his old age that he even gives him this great, dream coat, right? I, there was even a movie about it. I loved the movie. And we start to see jealousy with his brothers. But if you go to chapter 37, verse 4, it says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Imagine being born into that. Being born into a situation where the people around you, the people you call family, don't have a kind word for you. Do you guys recognize that as emotional abuse for the entirety of his childhood? How painful that would be? I find it interesting that in chapter 37, we don't hear anything about Joseph's strengths or talents, his personality. You see a picture of his trauma, his pain, his brothers, his relationships. Nothing specific really about him. And for many of us, that's what trauma does. You become just that. You're, you're not your personality. You're not your strengths. You're not the talents God has imbued you with. You view yourself as the trauma that you're living in. And you're stuck there. 
And that can be so difficult and scary to even recognize. Joseph at that time is 17 years old. 17. I'm sure some of you guys remember being teenagers, even though it might have been a long time ago for a few of you. (laughs) Think about how impressionable he is. Right? Those are your formative years. And you're not even receiving a positive word. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. More than that? More than already not saying a kind word. Can you imagine living in that? It's hard. And it just exposes the insecurity that can develop even in your home life. This expands in verses 5 through 28 as his brothers gear up to even plot to kill him. Throw him into a ditch. It exposes the depth of their pain, their anger. Someone that would, for all we know, could have been the sweetest kid. And that's heartbreaking. In verse 28, so when the Midianites merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. 20 shekels. Now, for some of you guys, you may not realize, okay, 20 shekels, is that a lot? Uh, We actually see in Exodus 21, verse 32, we learn that if an animal were to kill a slave, the price of that slave would be 30 shekels. Joseph was less than that. Imagine being faced with your value and overhearing it. At 17. At this moment in time, his whole beginning story is that of a giant traumatic experience. Constantly. And being faced with his value in front of him. And guess what? And it wasn't a lot. For a lot of us, the idea of family doing that hits a little close to home. Uh, According to the U.S. Health Department, two-thirds of children experience a traumatic event before the age of 16. Two-thirds. And it's really easy for kids or teenagers to say, my story stops there. It stops at the trauma. I can't grow past it. There's not more to it. This is it. By the end of chapter 37, we have a teenager who has been emotionally abused, mistreated, and sold into slavery. And when you think about what you can say to that, 
what can you say to people who say, listen, the start of my story is terrible. It's painful. Tell them the beginning isn't the end. You remind them that the beginning of their story is not the end. We're blessed enough that even as we go on more into the story of Joseph, that we know there's a chapter 38, 39, and 40, and 41. And as believers in Christ, we know the finish line. So when we hear that people are stuck in their trauma, that that is all they identify with, that's all they see, that's who they are, first thing you say is this is not the end. How you start is not how you'll finish. That I know it is hard right now. I can come beside you and wait until we're ready for the next step. And just like in Joseph, even though it was so hard, we know how it ends. And the blessings that are possible for that. Now, going back to Joseph after he sold, he's in uh, Potiphar's care, right, in Egypt. And it is a very long passage where ultimately he ends up being accused of making a move on his wife. Now, keep in mind at this point, he's still enslaved. Right? Yeah, there's a master of the home and stuff like that, but it's, there's still not a lot of freedom there. But if you go through the passage, I think it's really interesting, starting with verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Verse 3, the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him. If you go on and you keep going on to verse 4, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The Lord was on everything. Keep going on again. You see that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Throughout that whole verse, it is a reminder that the Lord continued to be with him throughout the whole chapter. A chapter that ultimately has Joseph starting off just being someone else's property and moving to prison. Your pain and your trauma is not enough to stop the Lord from being with you. Your pain and your trauma is not enough for the Lord to stop what he's doing. It's not enough for the Lord to not work. It's not enough for the Lord to say, you know what, I can't reach you there. He is constantly with you. Now, it doesn't look like all the time you're in mansions or hilltops. Sometimes it's prison. But he's with you. He meets you there. He can still bless you. Uh, a lot of times as we're going through our experiences and we're saying this is so hard, and we stop the sentence. I encourage you to keep that sentence and say, this is hard, but Christ can still meet me in it. 
I can still be blessed by it. He can still be with me. So when we're looking at what we say next to people who say, listen, my trauma, my pain, my experience is way too much. You first start with, well, this isn't just the end of your story. The beginning is not the end. But then you move on and say, God can still be with you in it. God can still be beside you. God can still comfort you. He can still bless you. He can still provide things for you, even though it doesn't look like everyone else's. It can still be with you. And that was probably the hardest thing for me to recognize, even this week. I I had this idea that God is only with me, and I didn't realize I had it until it happened, but that God is only with me in the good. For whatever reason, I was separating the two and just thinking to myself, well, man, I'm having a really bad week. It really, really stinks. And even as I was praying about it, I wasn't praying as if God was with me. I was making a petition for him to take me out of it. And that's a different prayer. And it's not that God can't deliver us. But I'm looking to be used by God, not to use God. And I had to be reminded of that. And that's true for every single one of us here. God will constantly seek you and be with you, regardless of your situation, where you are, whether it's in the home or in prison. He is with you, period. And nothing can separate that. So first thing we tell someone if they're struggling with that, This isn't the end of your story. Second thing, we remind them that God is with them constantly. And the third thing I think is an awesome thing. It's an amazing thing. As we go on and uh, Joseph is in prison, he has the opportunity to interpret some dreams. And as you can imagine, that's not something that people start keeping to themselves, right? It's hard to keep that a secret. And it even works itself all the way up to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has these dreams and he doesn't know what to do. And everyone says, I'm, I'm not too sure what it means. But one man remembers. A man who was with Joseph in prison. And the only reason Joseph's name comes up is because of the pain and tribulation that Joseph had went through to even be there in that in the first place. Isn't that astounding by itself? The fact that everything that happened to him led to his name being in the same room as the Pharaoh, as a king. That is mind-blowing to me. 
so crazy and ridiculous because that's like assuming at Seminole County Jail at some point, and then our, our president was like, oh, yeah, man, I heard about that guy. That's crazy. But because the Lord was with him, he had an impact, regardless of where he was. And that can be felt anywhere at any time. And so an opportunity presents itself. And he ends up uh, calling for Joseph up to interpret this dream. And in that, and in verse 15 in this, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16. I cannot do it. Picture the Pharaoh like, what are you talking about? You can't do it. I just had someone vouch for you a second ago. He seemed pretty sure. You're in my presence. I am a king and you're saying you can't. I'm sure he was pretty annoyed <laughs> at that point. But Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What Joseph is doing in that moment is he is recognizing that his skills, his talents, the opportunities that have been given to him, the ability to even interpret dreams, even in difficult places, is only through the power of God. He can't do anything without him. He got there because of him. He got through it with him. That's why all the Lord is with you is so important because when you get to the other side, you got to point back to him in every single thing. And that opportunity only came from him. God will do it. When people are stuck in their trauma, when they're stuck in their pain, where that's all they identify let them know that power comes from Christ to heal. The power to move forward comes from God. Your skills, your talents, your gifts have been ordainedly blessed. It is all a God thing, and you're not doing it alone. That can be hard sometimes to get there. But in that passage, we see the blessings that come afterwards, not before. It is only after he's professed the fact that, hey, God will interpret your dreams, that the Pharaoh gives in. That the Pharaoh ends up giving him land and ownership and leaves him in control. A whole lot of trust that was given to a slave. It started with trauma, but it's ending in triumph. Triumph that every step of the way the Lord was with. That it didn't matter what point he was at, the Lord stayed with him. So when he had an opportunity to share the gifts that God gave him, he was uniquely qualified for it. 
each and every one of us have something. We have something in our hearts, in our experiences, in our past that is hard to get past. It's hard to move forward. And we don't know what to do with it. And for a lot of us, it even starts with our families. But in the story of Joseph, we see that even though it starts with a family, it didn't end with just being sold and mistreated. Instead, it put him in a position where he could constantly claim the glory of God. And we all have the ability to do that. We do. Even when it's hard. Even if it's scary. Even if it's in a less than ideal place. But that's because the Lord doesn't abandon his flock. We can't claim any prosperity and the blessings that come until we've given glory to the God that brought us to it. That brought us to the point where we can point to God. And that journey looks different for everyone. For some people, that point in their life happens at 90. (laughs) For some of us, it's 21. And I've met some kids who have faith that (laughs) blows my mind. But the three things we say are the same. Regardless of your experience and the pain, it is not the end. Regardless of where you are, he is still with you. And thirdly, that through the power of God, more can always be done. And it doesn't stop. We're not disqualified because of our trauma. Instead, it gives us an opportunity for redemption and to be used in a way that only God can put together. It's an opportunity. An opportunity that leads us from prisons to kings. And each and every one of us have the same opportunity. God loves you and cares for you and desires you to confess with all of your heart, mind, and soul that he is God. And watch what he does. You have the talents and skills for it. He's blessed you for it. And the opportunity will come despite the pain, despite the experiences, despite the trauma. Just continue to believe that he is with you. He hasn't shown you otherwise. You guys don't mind praying with me. Father God, we have such messy lives. Messy lives that bleed into everything else. We think we can keep it all contained and It hurts and it changes how we even view ourselves sometimes. 
We think that we're not good enough, that there's no way we have the abilities or the talents to do your work, that we can't even be brought into your church sometimes. But Lord, I am so thankful that you find ways to use us anyway. You find ways to redeem us anyway. You find ways to put us in positions to serve you and glorify your name in ways that we couldn't ever imagine. And while you do that, you heal us. While you work, you work in us. It's not either or, it's yes and, and I am so happy that that's the case. That despite where we come from, the situation we we're in, we claim heaven. That we are born into a new family that is in your power and strength. Lord, for all those in the room, those who are watching, Lord, I pray that they are just reminded. Reminded that they're not at the finish line yet. That there is more to come, Lord, and that you are there with open arms waiting. Remind them that this is not the end of their story. It is just part of your story, Gregor. And that is so beautiful. Lord, I pray that in every waking moment, in every opportunity, we're reminded that you are with us. Doesn't matter the mountaintop or the valley, you continue to be with us. Over and over and over again. And finally, Lord, I just pray that uh, when it's all said and done, when given the opportunity, we point to you. We are nowhere by accident. It's a God thing. And the only reason we have the time and the opportunity to even use the gifts and talents that you've bestowed upon us is because of you. And as we use it, you use us. Not for our glory, but for yours. Continue to work in us. Continue to heal us. Continue to create bonds and relationships that redeem us. Grow your church. Let all the people know that it is okay to come to you broken. Because that's when you do your best work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.